0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and BlueWire Network.
0: What do you think about the Laker team now? Do you follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding.
2: That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top part show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there.
3: I don't think you have to do things for money anymore.
1: Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And last night, the Lakers tattered and torn at 16 and 18, washed up on the shores of No Big Island. There's not a lot of firsts left in LeBron James' career, Darius, but last night was the first time that he started at the center position. Now, there's not a lot of shelter on No Big Island right now, and there's a pretty good chance that Ja and the Grizzlies uh, rain a pretty hellacious thunderstorm on us tonight. And I, and it's also very possible that it's just a one-night visit. I'd expect Dwight will start against Memphis, but we shall see. Anyhow, so even if it's just a one-night trip against a bad team in a mostly unserious basketball game, Lakers dropped 132 points. And Darius, this is not the first bad basketball team that we've played this season. We've played this exact team a couple of other times in several other games earlier in the year that were very frustrating that we don't need to rehash right now. They were scoring at will. There's defensive problems that we'll certainly get to. And there's so many aspects of this that it's going to take multiple pods to really address all of the different angles of it. But what did you see, man? What stood
3: out to you about these groups? So let's talk positives first, because we want the Lakers won. So I don't want to start out on like the things I didn't like. We'll have plenty of negative.
1: We've had plenty of
3: negative. Yeah, let's have a fun pod for once. I just thought that there was a level of, oh this is something that we could get into, right? Like, I don't know. You go shopping at a brand new store and you're like, I've never been in this store. Oh, look at this. This is cool. Oh, I like this. And suddenly you've got like a cart full of stuff and you've never even seen this place or known that it existed, right? And now you've got $300 worth of stuff in in your cart and you realize, oh, maybe I got to put some of this stuff back, right? Like all this stuff is cool, but I don't maybe need all of it. The Lakers, I felt like, were sort of that kid in a candy store with this sort of lineup out there, that they were, they looked invigorated to a certain extent. They looked like this is how things are supposed to work, especially offensively. The stuff I was going to talk about that wasn't as good was the defensive stuff. But offensively, they looked like, A, Houston's bad. They can't guard us regardless, right? But B, they especially can't guard us when these are the lineups that that we're going to play and not only that but that this is the style and the alignment of the players right and so mike one of the things that we talked about earlier during the season is that whether like anthony davis is a big but the idea of anthony davis's center lineups are supposed to sort of look very similar to these sort of lineups right like spaced um Lots of room to operate. Like, we're going to play five out a lot. But the AD lineups haven't, the AD at the five lineups haven't really looked like that. They've been AD sort of lurking in the dunker spot more. Or let's post him up. And the Lakers weren't doing a lot of that. They did it for LeBron, some. But a lot of it really was five out spaced principles and the driving angles that that creates and the driving kick op- opportunities for more players than just LeBron and Russell Westbrook. That to me is what signaled like uh, like the sort of aha moment for the players on the court, like we can do something with this that hasn't really been available to to them over the course of a full game the way that it was in this game, because like Pete said, none of the bigs played. And even when LeBron was out, it was just like, hey, Melo, go play setter. Right. They didn't even have a reason. So it was like, OK, well, this is it. This is what what is going to be. And so the spacing and the positioning of the players on the court is what sort of signaled to me that this was going to work for them, not only against Houston, but potentially against other teams. So my wife just brought me two pieces of bacon
4: uh, and therefore I'm definitely going to start on the positive up front because <laughs> all right that, yeah that made see, me the, happy the
1: basketball gods have been giving us blessings slowly <laughs> that have been hard to see but the bacon in front of you stanley johnson it's all you know? from the same uh source well, yes
4: i was gonna ask you do you guys see how many minutes malik monk played last night 40 just a, that's a cool 40 40 yeah he played 40 minutes <laughs> and he was great offensively <laughs> <I> love, <laughs> you know i love him offensively he was great uh seven for 14 made three threes and he got to the free throw line eight times and one of the things that i noticed early in the game about monk that i was really liking was like with all of the space and especially kind of working in tandem with lebron some he can beat guys off the dribble um so easily and he's got the he's got both like he's got the burst he can pull up from three so he's not He's a guy, I think we think of the space floor as something, okay, that's going to be great for Russ specifically or LeBron specifically. But Monk, and and we just got to see so much of a sample size of it. That was an interesting part of it for me. Uh, I, I would throw in that. Kind of like I think Pete has mentioned this consistently, but, you know, maybe you put Dwight Howard in some of those second units instead of Melo, especially if you're going to drop. And I don't want to get you started, Pete, on something that bothered you um, all, all along. <laughs> the text thread
1: last night was. Yeah, I, tra- it was I, tra- pompous, I try to ask Melo yeah. <laughs> about that after the
4: game. But the the offensive side in this whole this I'll, I'll shock you guys by saying that LeBron, of course, is the key uh, to all this. And just I now have I'm having some visions of the next couple of years with LeBron. Uh in this kind of alignment, and, and of course, Anthony Davis is so key to it all to actually be a good defensive team with it. But yeah, th- those are just some of my initial observations, Pete.
1: Yeah, the the Monk point's a really good one and I think projects well for Kendrick Nunn. And let's let's zoom out for a second to just the overall idea of the, the team. When I saw the roster, and that's why I've been so adamant that, that we were going to end up at this place, um, is like everyone else, I, I was like, what What the hell are we doing? Like, what is this? And the first instinct is to, to look at this and go, this is never going to work. And there's a chance that that's, that's true. But I think that there's some benefit of the doubt owed to people who just won a championship all around, right? And that have, in some cases, won multiple championships to at least like be curious, like, okay, what are they going for? And there's a style of play that, and this I've been again ranting about this. That, I, and it's I call it, you know, I think of it as L.A. style basketball, and that's part of what's so. Uh, again, basketball gods blessing us is if this team can play this style of play with this many guys from L.A. Like this is a a, a local style of play that is um, that it's just part of every city, different city in the country. I think contributes. A certain flair to their hoopers, like THT, Nunn, and AD, all have these like nasty off the dribble moves that very much. Yeah, Derrick Rose, Chica- Derrick, Derrick Rose, Chicago hoopers, man, they've got yes. their own style. New York hoopers have their own style. Seattle guys, right? If this goes in the right direction at some point, point, we're we're working on going in the right direction, much less getting to the end point, right? So I like the end point so far away that it's not worth talking about, but. If we can do this with a bunch of LA guys, that would be phenomenal. And what that, so what does that mean? That, that whole style is traditionally teams that have played small have focused on, on offense, on their supporting players being able to shoot. The idea being we've got these incredible shot creators, these guys you cannot guard in space. We're going to put them in the defenses in space. They're going to win their matchup pretty much every time. It's going to collapse the defense. And when the ball gets kicked out, you want someone that's able to knock down a catch and shoot three with their feet set. And there are a bunch of guys in the league because defensively to play that way, you need rangy wings, right? Guys that can kind of clean up or or reduce the, the harm of not having a true big on the floor. So the sacrifice for those players, if you can do those two things and you can handle the ball, most of the time you are a very well-paid player. So most of the role players in that type of build don't have a ton of ball handling. So they can't really attack closeouts well. So with this style of of play and with this personnel, I believe the concept is rather than three and D with the supporting players, it's handles and D. It's ball handling and the ability to attack in space that play that I sent you guys earlier in the in the text thread when uh, Stanley Johnson beat Sengun off of the dribble, there's going to be a lot of situations where the defense has one guy where that's just not the thing that he's best at. Because there's no other team in the league that has that can put five guys on the floor that can handle the ball on a consistent basis. We, we'll get into that in a moment. Now, I'm going on and on uh, for a bit here, D, but the that, I think, is the concept of, like, I think... I disagree with the execution in a couple of different places, but in terms of, like, the bigger picture, like, what the hell were they thinking making such radical changes? I believe that that's the concept behind it.
3: So let's go to break, because this is a fruitful topic to explore further.
1: Lakers basketball is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself by searching all over the internet to find Lakers tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices on the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. I'm excited to see this Lakers squad get out in transition this year, and there's nothing like seeing a great fast-breaking team in person. Visit TickPick.com slash LFR today And use promo code LFR to save $10 on your first order of Lakers tickets.
3: Are you looking for ways to skip the trip to the post office and dodge all that hectic holiday shopping traffic? Why not save time and money with Stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long. It just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. Whether you're selling online or running an office or side hustle, Stamps.com can save you so much time, money, and stress during the holidays. Access all the post office and UPS shipping services you need without taking the trip and get discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS. Save time and money this holiday season with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code FILMROOM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code filmroom. So Pete, it's super interesting to me, this idea that you've brought to the fold, and sort of the ethos of the team, right? The undercurrent of what is going to drag this team in the direction that they're most suited to play, and the idea of shot creation or the ability to attack because there's always a certain balance that I think lineups need need to have if you have 5 attack players that's great, but where are the finishers? Because you do need plays to be completed by someone. I remember watching the Celtics like over the last couple of years and reveling in some of the drive and kick possessions that went nowhere because it's just yeah. driving kick, driving kick, driving and kick. And it's just like, okay, well, if you're just driving and kicking and driving and kicking, and there's no one there on the back end to say, no, I'm the finisher now or even the ball handler
1: being the drive and finisher like if you don't step over in front of Russ he's he's gonna get the layup right and maybe he's gonna miss it more often than not but he's gonna get nine or ten of them per game especially if the floor is spaced
3: and so let's bring it back to Monk because I think Monk yep exactly one of the reasons why Monk is I think a very interesting player for this style of play Mike is that he is one of those guys who can be a catch and shoot player he did that in Charlotte a bunch, and he's done it for the Lakers a bunch this well this year too. But if you really want Malik Monk to be out with you at 3 in the morning with his jumper, right? Because <laughs> I, I listened to, to the last pod, then the idea is some of that shot creation is going to be vital to him having more utility on the court than just a spot-up shooter. And you want guys to be able to play to more of their strengths. Stanley Johnson, to me, is a guy that's in the opposite direction than Monk because what he wants to do is attack. He is not a guy who is going to spot up. And one of the reasons why he hasn't necessarily been in the league recently is because it's what you guys talked about before with him, is that his whole life he's been an on-ball player. And yep, getting that out of your system and changing as a player when you've been a dude who has basically been like give me the ball since he was probably 11 12 years old and now he's 25 and it's just like well i've been doing the same thing my whole life you want me to be something different now this i was is what I we're was, asking thc to do right now by the way yeah but stanley johnson he went to arizona he was mm-hmm. a top 10 pick leadership guy there's pedigree Like, I'm not saying that THC doesn't have that pedigree, but he went in the second round. He went to to Iowa State. Like, Mm -hmm. these are not the same things. And getting back to my Johnson point, though, is that he will shoot that three, right? Because those are technically good shots. They're in rhythm. And but he needs to take those shots because that's yeah. what facilitates the flow of the offense, right? Yeah. And, and, so, and if he
1: hits 30% of them, like we're gonna win enough other possessions with other players, like that's fine. It's the point that Mike always makes. It's not it's not Ben Simmons in the corner, right? It's he's gonna get you almost a point per possession.
3: So, Mike, what I wanna pose to you here is that balance within the lineups. And I think one of the most important things the Lakers need to do. zooming back out and finalizing like what what this roster is going to look like is finding that right balance of how many players can we get who can check the boxes that you need in order to play this specific style because i'm convinced at this point that the bigs on this roster dwight howard deandre jordan their utility is going to be limited it just is. They may play against a team like Memphis tonight because Memphis starts basically two gigantic dudes and Steven Adams will basically just look like, you know, Saturn eating his son against some of these lineups. Yeah. Well, and, and he's remember, just gonna- he was
4: he was giving it to Anthony Davis uh, inside. Two weeks ago, when the yes. Lakers run that building, well,
1: and, and I, I'd also point out that, like, I think LeBron can win some physical battles against Adams because he, Anybody, he has a yeah. lower center of gravity. But do you want him really doing that? In like, I don't know. I I would rather him not deal with that. But anyhow, I, I think it's
3: a difference between capability versus is it a good idea tonight? So, Mike, you've always been someone who has been sort of highlighting the the idea of shooting's important, but it's not as important as these other things. And I think that. This style of play that the Lakers are going to and Pete's premise of, yeah, shooting is important, but it's not the only thing because these other things are are important, too. How do you envision the Lakers sort of treading this line and, and walking this balance beam of of finding the right sort of mixture within lineups? Because I honestly think that that's going to be the most important thing when you highlight Russ. A.D., LeBron, and this style of play because the guys around them is, is what's going to make it all work.
4: Well, I'm going to try to make a kind of a zoom out point here. And we before we were before we started recording, we were talking about the Philippines a little bit. And you, I'll let you mention what it is. But I cited this book and then Pete happened to bring it out uh, called Pacific Rims by Rafe Bartholomew, um, who I went to college with. And part of like the basketball philosophy and the obsession in the Philippines. And and so the the way I'm going to try to connect it um, thinking about for me, the way that they're playing this offensive style and this five out and the spacing and all that, it's, it's really pretty to watch and there are a lot of elements of it that I think can, can work in, in a long lasting way, but there tends to be this, when you play like that five out, there tends to be just like a, an attitude on defense that you know what we're going to score so much and so easily that like not going to worry as much about that side of the court it's just a and it was loose last night we saw that houston was scoring whenever they wanted to so i i don't know if you can really play those lineups especially for 48 minutes and have a serious enough either approach or energy towards or attitude towards the defensive side of the court And so I need some kind of balance. And I don't know if that's a a personnel shift or a basically just getting Frank Vogel back on the court and being able to, you know, make those kind of adjustments. But I'm so I'm like, I'm really I really enjoy watching part of it, but I'm the overall philosophical basketball thing. I think there has to be this this connectivity between champions in the NBA and guys who are awesome on offense, but. But take defense seriously, and I don't care what the scheme is. I don't care what like there are different things can work. Different things have always worked, but that's that's to me what I'm I'm kind of yearning for when I watch last night's game.
1: Who on this roster, Mike, is capable of playing that that st- like that level of seriousness on the defensive end amongst the role players?
4: Well, so that's where I, I think that Reeves and Areza, right, the two guys that weren't in. The lineup yesterday because both are in health and safety protocols. That's where you start some of it. Um, You get Anthony Davis back, of course, is the key to all of that. But that's where what I'm. I mean, Avery Bradley, obviously, and we've talked about him in different contexts this year. Stanley Johnson is he going to stick around? So there, there are guys. You've named uh, a few TST, guys. We, you know, we're just Derek starting Collison. to get to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but the. Maybe the maybe that issue is more like if Melo is really your backup five, like that's the thing that just absolutely mm-hmm. doesn't work, right? So yep. if and that's AD what they attacked
1: the, every play, right?
4: Yeah, and that's what they attacked, and then like Malik Monk actually
1: a couple blocks, you know, mm-hmm. like got a Monk's deflection. Been competing fast, just compete this, but yeah. that's the that's the point is what Mike's point is you have to compete on defense. There has to be a level of seriousness, like well, i I'm sure there was some degree, Mike earlier in the year where I like i'm I'm complaining about the defensive schemes, and you're like, you must have been like, are you watching these dudes? like they're not even trying, you know, like and it, it, there's something that has to be provided before schemes and things like that go come into the equation.
4: it's a good it's a good check though that you give because it's not that there there aren't enough guys that that either historically or currently can give you that. It's just that it needs to be. That was my point with the alignment in itself. And just the feeling when you're, if you're just playing pickup and you've got the better dudes and you just know that you can score. Like that's all it's, it's sometimes hard to translate the mindset uh, overall. And I just think starting that way with LeBron at the five, there, there was something about that team. They had a certain cockiness offensively, which was great, but You know, they also didn't really take Houston seriously. And as much as that team isn't good, like they, you know, they do have some guys that can score,
3: you know. So in in, as yeah, you give them
1: clean looks, they're going to be feeling good about themselves for sure.
3: All during the preseason and when this roster was was put together, I was just like, well, I don't know if this team is going to guard anyone. I think that they're going to be like they're going to look around and be like, we got five dudes going to the Hall of Fame and dudes who have averaged triple doubles and 20 points a night for their career and yada, yada, yada. Like they they're going to feel like we can score. Fact is, though, is this team hasn't scored. They've been in the 20s in offensive rating pretty much the entire season. And they have been better on defense because they have prioritized defense. Right. And so I'd love to kick it to break. Because finding that idea of, okay, well, this team does need to, they do need to defend. They do need to compete on that end. But there's some strategic and stylistic shifts, I think, that need to happen defensively when you're on no big island, right? That's right. Th- that this team is going to have to embrace. And Frank Vogel is going to be a big key in that guy. So let's take a break. And then, Pete, I'd love to hear your thoughts about sort of defensive stuff.
1: what a what an unusual circumstance it is to have one head coach that you've had for a couple of years now coach most of the season and then another head coach step in for a little bit and i think it's been about 10 days now without without frank and that second coach has a very different philosophy toward basketball in general fisdale is another la guy i don't think most people know that but fisdale's from los angeles and that that style of play that I've been talking about is he's almost certainly very familiar with. And he's been reported to be one of the the people that facilitated the change in Miami that helped grease the wheels to go to Bosch at the five. And again, I, I just want to, so he, he's, he's a teacher of this particular style of play that said You do have to play a certain level of seriousness on defense. You do have to be able to adjust and and scheme in a different way than you do when that's JaVale and Anthony Davis back there. And I've missed Frank's in-game adjustments as a defensive coach. It's been – again, illuminating to lose your coach and to have a a coach come in from a completely different style of play, right? Like he comes from a different point of view basketball-wise. And I think the best version of this team is the best attributes of how Frank likes to play and the best attributes of how Fisdale likes to play. There's a certain degree of, of, there's a certain degree of like in-game decision-making that a coach has to make that Frank being out for this period of time has made me appreciate that more.
3: It's highlighted – one of the things that Fisdale has commented a bunch about while Frank has been out is like – Fisdale's basically said, Frank's made me a better coach. You know why? Because he's freaking prepared. Like there's a level of preparedness that Vogel has as a head coach that – has been great for me. Like I'm speaking as Fizdale here, right? And, and and he's relayed that multiple times, Mike. And that idea of being prepared allows you to then, I think, pivot in game. Frank gets lambasted for his lineup decisions, but he doesn't really seem to get enough praise for the little tactical shifts that happen over the course of of a game and the little bit of like, yeah, guess what? We are going to go zone here guess what? We are going to switch here. We're going to start switching one through four. Oh, we're going to start showing help with the guard when they run, like there's all these little tweaks that Vogel has deployed over the course of the season that to watch some of those things just vanish when he's not been available, like on the sidelines and in the moment has been interesting. And just to jump in here on coaching and I mean, talking about philosophical shifts over
4: time in basketball, Of course, for a long time, it was just former players that would sort of shift up. And and sometimes in the case of Bill Russell, like do both. And then at a certain point, though, and this has been a bit more recently, but you've had these these film room guys and these guys that have been just absolutely crazy obsessed with all of the intricacies and X's and O's and just deep advanced stuff that have been spending all of their hours doing this. And the same shift has happened in the NFL. By the way and what we've realized i think now is that there is so much there there's so much there's so much meat on that bone and i think the a recent example has been chauncey billups going up to portland and even like when he got in the assistant chair next to ty Lu, who made a transition but also managed to do it in an obsessed way and was like hold on there's like 125 things on a list and i may be getting to 10 of them but spolstra and quinn snyder and frank vogel and, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of these guys are so have all of that stuff just seeped into their beings now. And it's a yep. lot to try and catch up to, um, when, when it's being practiced around the league Cause that, that I don't think that trend is going anywhere. Um, I think that's sort of what coaching is now in the NBA and, and in the NFL.
1: I think coaching is a a couple of different things, and I think the best version of this Lakers squad is a marriage between that level of preparedness and attention to detail on the defensive end and this style of offense. Yeah. We were playing pretty good defense before Frank went down. What kind of season is this? We're talking about our coach going down for a little while, right? Like our our head coach being out for two weeks. Before Frank went down, he had miraculous – how were we 11th or 12th? 11th in defense – P- and, and, and we weren't like a good – I'm not saying that, oh, that's championship-level defense, but considering the available guys that we had, that's miraculous that we were 11th in defensive rating in the NBA. So to me, the the marriage, the harmony, the triangle of all of this is playing the lineup concepts of Fizdale with Vogel as the coach, right? Like the defensive coach, the coordinator, the guy that gets the best out of everyone that has that attention to, to detail. But before even that – also playing guys that give a crap on defense. Vogel yes. has no problem on that. And we have a couple of those guys now, man. Like even a Stanley Johnson, yes. there's one play D where he tracked down this long rebound. You know how much we've gotten our asses kicked on long rebounds this season? And he was just, there's just a level of give a crap and athletic tools that it's not even complicated, It but it's just, oh, we needed that so badly.
3: Johnson's been a revelation for the, and you guys talked about this a ton, so I don't want to hit on it too much, but he's been a revelation from, from the idea of oh hey yeah remember that stuff that stuff still matters and you don't know you 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 try to quantify how much a team misses it but it's hard because you you just have not had it and now that they have it you see the difference and it's just like oh damn yeah, I remember. I remember what it's like to get out of area rebounds from a dude who is sort of like LeBron James size in terms of height, not as thick as LeBron, but just sort of like an athlete. And that dude's just chasing chasing down a ball and knocking a dude off of him. It's just like, yep, that's what happens when you're 6'8", 245 pounds, like you just move guys, right? And, and so he's been a revelation from that standpoint. One of the things I wanted to get to from Vogel and from an X's and O's stand, standpoint, and from a defensive give a crap idea, is that the to me the idealized version of this is actually Mike. You brought up the Houston team that the Lakers beat in the playoffs with Russell Westbrook, right? And but the version of the Rockets team that the Lakers should be looking at is the one right before that. It's the Chris Paul version, right? That's the team that switched a bunch that had dogs on defense, Trevor Ariza played on that team, right? They had P.J. Tucker, they had Trevor Ariza, they had Chris Paul, they had James Harden, and they just switched everything defensively and they were attack dogs, right? They gang rebound. That Now, that's not Vogel's style of play, but Vogel could teach that stuff because he is a master in terms of defense, and while he may not say we're switching one through five every possession because he doesn't believe in that, and I don't even think that that's the most effective way to necessarily play basketball for, a 40, for 48 minutes. But it's this, not a 48-minute solution. No. But it is a solution. But it is a solution, and I do think that, that moving more in that direction is going to be important, and that's why I was talking about roster shifts and that idea of melding what the team has, do they have enough there, and targeting those guys, Pete, who can play more of that style in order to, to, to mix it up. What have you thought of Collison, another LA guy? So Collison, Collison to me, I've been looking more at him offensively than I have defensively. Defensively, Collison's always been a guy who's competed. He's been a guy that in the prime of his career, he was up in terms of the league of like steel leaders and and has active hands and knew how to move, move his feet. And he was a plus level defender, even though he's not very big. Right. And and so sw- but he's also a guy where I wonder, can you switch with him as much as you'd like to? Right. Because he's not big enough to hold up against a lot of these guys. And, and so but I've liked his play. I'd like to see him more where the Lakers have more guys available so that he doesn't have to play in lineups with Russ and with Malik Monk, right? Where it's just like, oh, we've got two other dudes on the court who are your sized, right? He's been in lineups where he's literally the third ball handler. Yeah. And it's sort of just like, well, you're just a body out there. Mm-hmm. What, like what I'd like to see more of is like, oh, can you get him in pick and rolls? Can you raise him up a notch in terms of his utility offensively? Do you want to do that on a team though that has this many other ball handlers? Like I
1: can't think of too many possessions where I'm like, you know, let's start this play with Darren Collison with the ball in his hands. You know,
3: no, and that's why he is to me he's probably best suited for the Rondo role, mm. right? Mm. Where it's just like you're probably our the emergency point guard. Just just to interject, though, that's also the issue with THT
4: is that how many yeah. possessions do you want to just give him when you've got mm-hmm. LeBron or Russ out there mm-hmm. and he's not doing the other utility, basically the three and D or, uh, you know, or, or even how Pete put it earlier um, with a dribble drive and like to a, a different extent D. But that's that's the that's where this team is a little bit duplicative and Collison kind of brings into that.
1: Can I talk about THT real quick, please, <laughs> before we get back to Col- Collison? He is – there was a play in the first half where he was driving to the basket and he had one of his guards – so he's going right to his, his strong hand and he had one of their guards on his hip. So he had already earned the advantage and was going to the basket. And the whole play – I'm I'm watching him on the rewatch. But the whole play, he's like looking for the kick pass. You are talking about this with Boston earlier, D, is if you're driving to the basket with the intention of passing – the defense you're, will pick up on you. You're, you're not creating an open shot. You're doing it wrong. You right. You have to drive with the intention, with bad intentions on the rim. For like Russ drives me crazy on and drives a lot of people crazy with the layups and with the missed dunks. I just wish he would just finish. Like, he doesn't have to turn it over and, and go and cock it back for the throwdown. He's got the small hands, he can't palm the ball particularly well. Anyway. But he goes to the rim with bad intentions. And when you go to the basket in this drive and kick type of style, you have to be able to do that. You have to drive with the intention of, oh, I'm going to score if you don't rotate over. And so the THT's in this situation and he's got this small guard on his hip and I forgot who it was rotating over. I think it was Nwaba, but it was a situation where last year in the exact same circumstance, THT just powers through and that's an easy layup for him. Like this is what he does. And there's a certain, we've talked about fit, and, and, uh, you know, it, and Mike's point is, is well taken. Like, do you really justify giving THT the ball to start the play? I think he's more of a secondary attack, the closeout type of guy. Um, and we'll talk about not shooting the three that the defense is giving you a little bit later when we talk about the the scheme and ideas b- behind the team. Um, but I see more right now, a player that's having a crisis of confidence Yeah, where like, if THT isn't taking that shot that I was describing, like, what is he doing? And so I I see a guy who's really deeply in his head right now.
3: THT is probably a whole segment to an entire pod yeah, or maybe yeah. even a full pod all on itself because the sort of idea of playing in, in his head. And we've seen that with several sort of Laker youngsters who are going through those growing pains of how do I play on a team with real aspirations and stars next to me who demand the ball and... There's this inner monologue and calculus that young players who are looked at as like having real responsibility for a team's success that I think can be daunting for players. And it's much easier, honestly, I think, when you are a Malik Monk and it's sort of just like, bro, I got this. Like, I'm just going to go out there and do whatever the hell I do, and I'm just going to do it. Malik is our spirit animal. Like he's the guy that who's he's a whole
1: vibe unto himself. Yeah, and exactly what you're describing there—that mentality permeating the team. Russ talks about this a lot too. The idea of joy and playing open and free and all of that, and I think having the space to be able to do that is is really helpful in in getting there. And so, yeah, Malik—the ta- the the Malik's just vibe—I think is super important and informative to the rest of the team.
4: Let's stick on Malik just for one second, then, because I'm. So he played 40 minutes. Part of that was because Reeves and Ariza specifically were out, but can Malik stay in a starting spot? Uh, So Wayne Ellington obviously also was out. How do you handicap which which of those skill sets that you most want um, with that group? And I don't know there. I'm, I find myself, if you just had, if I had to answer the question in one second, I'd be like, start Malik. But then I think about it and I, uh, I don't know, defensively, right? like, well, it's a. It's. I don't have the answer yet. I. I need us to sort of think about it collectively. But he's making kind of an increasing case. Uh, if not, if not for a starting role in big minutes, at least sort of like the more featured sixth man. Um. Than than we've seen so far this year.
3: I'm not sure if Monk should start, but he should definitely be that guy who is a three shift player and potentially a four shift player. And there is a big difference when you come off the bench and you're guaranteed three shifts. That, that's just a different level of player that you're talking about. And he's one of the few guys who I think on the team should be guaranteed a third shift. I just think he should be guaranteed it. I think it should be baked into what his role is. The other guys who get three shifts are gonna be AD, LeBron, Russ, and most starters get a third shift. But I'm talking about getting a third shift from a bench role. Monk is important. He is a bridge player similar to Reeves, but with a totally different skill set because he is that he is that secondary shot creator. He is he checks the boxes of I can handle the ball. Check. I can create my own shot. Check. I can spot up and shoot. Check. And then I can I can make a play for someone else. Check. Now, that one is much lower down on the list, but he checks all of those boxes and and he can be a three level scorer. and And so now his deficiencies are on defense. He's smaller and all of that stuff. But a player with his sort of skill set, that's pretty rare. And it's rare you're going to get that guy on a minimum contract, and it's rare that a guy who's on a minimum contract can credibly give you 40 minutes in an NBA game and make as many plays as he was Malik a positive made. in 40 minutes. Yes. Most of
1: the times when when role players their role gets overextended, there's a diminishing return to yes. them to the point where they're a negative. There's
3: you know that player at 18 minutes is a very different player than them at 35. So let's bring it back to Collison here, right? Because I think we're all on the same page. I think Malik should play. Right, and he should continue to play.
1: If I can make my point on, on yeah, before, yeah, please move on to Collison. Monk has the natural synergy that he has with this team, I think portends really well with Kendrick Nunn. This is part of the reason why I've been advocating for Kendrick Nunn to start since the beginning of the year. He's, I know, this very mysterious player to us because we saw him for like two or three games when it was the preseason and we weren't playing serious basketball or serious lineups or anything. But I I watched a lot of Kendrick Nunn tape over this summer because I think he's a significant player. He's the only guy that we signed outside of the organization that is more than a minimum guy. THT was the only other guy that got more than than a minimum. And so I've probably sounded like I think Kendrick Nunn is this great defender. And I, I don't think that Kendrick Nunn is a speed guard that can operate in open space that is a hooper. He's the that ball-handling type of guy. He can beat guys one-on-one off of the dribble. He can really score. He's a three-level scorer. And if he's in space in lineups with Russ and LeBron and with other guys who – Stanley Johnson – You start to run out of guys defensively that can guard someone else one on one. But I think that that attribute of speed is especially important. Now, he isn't quite the bucket getter that Monk is, but he is a better defensive option than Monk is. And so it's these subtle turns of the dial when you need Monk has that great synergy, but probably isn't a starter because of his defensive issue, you know, because of his defensive deficiencies. He's a classic off the bench scoring type of guard. You've got to, not a better version of him, but you've got a player that's waiting in the wings that fits his profile. That's that's better on defense than he is.
4: The the only other thing I want to add about Malik, and and by the way, we just got news as you guys were talking that, um, and people will know by the time the pod comes out. But Ellington is back in Memphis. Uh, Reeves and Baysmore both cleared protocols. But won't play in hey, Memphis um, due the to basketball reconditioning. gods have been blessing us slowly but surely. So it'll be basically everybody but Ariza um, back. Who and he was the last person to enter health and safety protocols for Friday's game. Let's um, go. So, but the one thing just uh, to, to kind of finish this thought on Monk Ellington, he does some things on defense a little bit differently, but I wouldn't say that he's you know giving you that much more than Malik. And so what does Malik give you on offense more than what Wayne does? It, it's different because Wayne, you're going to run him around screens more. You could have Monk do that, but he's definitely not going to beat you off the dribble. He's not going to take it to the rim and fin- and go up with the right and, and finger roll with the left in. So I, I'm really curious to see how much – what the minutes discrepancy is just even between Monk and Ellington um, in this Memphis game. And then that gets complicated further once Ariza and Reeves get back in, and, and all of a sudden we're back into the too many cooks in the kitchen and yes. well, wait, how do we get minutes for Stanley Johnson? So that, that could be uh, the
3: next pod maybe um, as we try to figure out who's going to play out all this, all these guys. Well, just to close out this part of the conversation, and I think that this should be a bridge for a different pod um, and one where maybe, people will have to listen to me talk a lot based off of my relationship in comparison to you too. But I'm a firm believer that the Lakers need to make a consolidation trade, that they need to start to choose who they believe are going to be the players who best fit their style of play. And that they need to sort of, if not force the coach's hand a little bit, basically make all everyone needs to be on the same page. Like these are the dudes who are going to play. These are the reasons why. And that's that because It's been great having all of these options, but at some point you're going to have to probably choose between a Malik Monk and a Wayne Ellington. You're going to have to choose between a Stanley Johnson and a Dwight Howard or a DeAndre Jordan. You're going to have to choose between an Austin Reeves and right. Like there are choices here and um, a playoff rotation is going to be eight to ten guys. Frank likes to play ten right? But in the closest of games, in the most important games, it's going to be eight dudes. And so who are your eight dudes? Who are the eight dudes that you trust? And who are the 10 that I kind of trust, that I'm willing to turn to? And you can't have a team of 15 guys and say, yeah, we're going into battle with all of these guys. They're, they're all going to be ready. They're all going to help us. That's coach speak. For I don't have my eight guys. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, and so there's a positive spin that you could put on on everything. And and I but like this positive whole, spin.
1: Th- but this whole first part of the season has been about finding who our guys are. Yeah. Imagine starting Bazemore and DJ right now. Yeah. Look, that's how we started the season. And I'm not trying to relitigate if is it a good idea or a bad one. It's just like the idea of those two starting now is so obvious that that's not the way to get to the best version of the team. And so the first part of the te- the year is trial and error, Mike. And like it's not a it's not a judgment. It's just like that's what this this first part of the year was going to be. Who
4: are our guys? Yeah. When, and when they won the title, though, right, they did kind of the same thing. And then in, in 1920 and then figured it out eventually. Right, they had a and, way and different played, roster. We need to. And played more than the usual. And played more than that kind of
3: typical eight. Right. To be fair to Vike it's easy to forget. Remember how many minutes Troy Daniels and Quinn Cook got? Quinn Cook mm-hmm. in the, in the first month Doug's of the season, some- right? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. All yeah. those dudes, all those dudes were playing. And then suddenly we were the- finding
1: our guys then too. Yes. that's the
3: purpose of yes. the first half of an
1: NBA season, and you got to stay attached enough in the standings. We did a pod on this yesterday. Yes, in, in order for it to not to go sideways, but this has happened all all three years. We brought yes. in Damian Jones around this time yep. last season when Mark Mark went out. Right. So anyhow, we're running long. This was a lot of fun. I hope everyone has stayed uh, enjoyed their stay on No Big Island. I think it's a one night stay. If not, Ja and company may do bad things to us. We shall. <laughs> We will be back to tomorrow to cover that and a whole lot more here on the Laker Film Room Podcast.
3: James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it.
2: Magic fires. It's the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game.
3: Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It. It's on the way. Down. 16 rebounds,
4: with his 8th block shot that ties an NBA
2: Finals record.
0: A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding
2: me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasson. ready pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the First move, two, it's going.
0: one, missing. One, three, four, the victory. It's over. It's over. And shot clock out of five. Bryant, yeah,
2: and that was a little tap to Albert Gentry. putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.
3: When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do,